This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysteries of Udolpho by Anne Radcliffe, Volume 4, Chapter 4 Now it is the time of night, that the graves all gaping wide, every one lets forth his spite, in the churchway path to glide. Shakespeare On the next night, about the same hour as before, Dorothy came to Emily's chamber, with the keys of that suite of rooms, which had been particularly appropriated to the late Marchioness. These extended along the north side of the chateau, forming part of the old building, and as Emily's room was in the south, they had to pass over a great extent of the castle, and by the chambers of several of the family, whose observations Dorothy was anxious to avoid, since it might excite inquiry and raise reports such as would displease the Count. She therefore requested that Emily would wait half an hour before they ventured forth, that they might be certain all the servants were gone to bed. It was nearly one before the chateau was perfectly still, or Dorothy thought it prudent to leave the chamber. In this interval, her spirit seemed to be greatly affected by the remembrance of past events, and by the prospect of entering again upon places where these had occurred, and in which she had not been for so many years. Emily, too, was affected, but her feelings had more of solemnity and less of fear. From the silence into which reflection and expectation had thrown them, they at length roused themselves and left the chamber. Dorothy, at first, carried the lamp, but her hand trembled so much with infirmity and alarm that Emily took it from her and offered her arm to support her feeble steps. They had to descend the great staircase, and after passing over a wide extent of the chateau to ascend another, which led to the suite of rooms they were in quest of. They stepped cautiously along the open corridor that ran round the great hall, and into which the chambers of the Count, Countess, and the Lady Blanche opened, and from thence, descending the chief staircase, they crossed the hall itself. Proceeding through the servants' hall, where the dying embers of a wood fire still glimmered on the hearth, and the supper table was surrounded by chairs, that obstructed their passage, they came to the foot of the back staircase. Old Dorothy here paused and looked around. Let us listen, said she, if anything is stirring. Memswell, do you hear any voice? None, said Emily. There certainly is no person up in the chateau besides ourselves. No, Memswell, said Dorothy. But I have never been here at this hour before and, after what I know, my fears are not wonderful. What do you know? said Emily. Oh, Mamswell, we have no time for talking now. Let us go on. That door on the left is the one we must open. They proceeded, and having reached the top of the staircase, Dorothy applied the key to the lock. Ah, said she, as she endeavored to turn it, so many years have passed since this was opened that I fear it will not move. Emily was more successful, and they presently entered a spacious and ancient chamber. Alas! exclaimed Dorothy as she entered. 
The last time I passed through this door, I followed my poor lady's corpse. Emily, struck with the circumstance, and affected by the dusky and solemn air of the apartment, remained silent, and they passed on through a long suite of rooms till they came to one more spacious than the rest, and rich in the remains of faded magnificence. "'Let us rest here a while, madame,' said Dorothy faintly. "'We are going into the chamber where my lady died. "'That door opens into it. "'Ah, Mamswell, why did you persuade me to come?' "'Emily drew one of the massy armchairs "'with which the apartment was furnished "'and begged Dorothy would sit down "'and try to compose her spirits. "'How the sight of this place brings all that passed formerly to my mind,' said Dorothy. It seems as if it was but yesterday since all that sad affair happened. Hark! What noise is that? said Emily. Dorothy, half starting from her chair, looked round the apartment, and they listened. But everything remaining still, the old woman spoke again upon the subject of her sorrow. This saloon, Mamswell, was in my lady's time the finest apartment in the chateau, and it was fitted up according to her own taste. All this grand furniture, but you can now hardly see what it is for the dust, and our light is none of the best. Ah, how I have seen this room lighted up in my lady's time. All this grand furniture came from Paris, and was made after the fashion of some in the Louvre there, except those large glasses, and they came from some outlandish place. And that rich tapestry, how the colors are faded already since I saw it last. I understood that was twenty years ago, observed Emily. Thereabout, madame, said Dorothy, and well remembered. But all the time between then and now seems as nothing. That tapestry used to be greatly admired at. It tells the stories out of some famous book or other, but I have forgot the name. Emily now rose to examine the figures it exhibited and discovered by verses in the provincial tongue wrought underneath each scene that it exhibited stories from some of the most celebrated ancient romances dorothy's spirits being now more composed she rose and unlocked the door that led into the late marchioness's apartment and emily passed into a lofty chamber hung round with dark arras and so spacious that the lamp she held up did not show its extent while Dorothy, when she entered, had dropped into a chair, where, sighing deeply, she scarcely trusted herself with the view of a scene so affecting to her. It was some time before Emily perceived, through the dusk, the bed on which the Marchioness was said to have died. When advancing to the upper end of the room, she discovered the high canopy tester of dark green damask with the curtains descending to the floor in the fashion of a tent, half-drawn, and remaining apparently as they had been left twenty years before. And over the whole bedding was thrown a counterpane, or pall, of black velvet that hung down to the floor. Emily shuddered as she held the lamp over it and looked within the dark curtains, where she almost expected to have seen a human face and suddenly remembering the horror she had suffered upon discovering the dying Madame Antoni in the turret-chamber of Udolpho, her spirits fainted. And she was turning from the bed when Dorothy, who had now reached it, exclaimed, Holy Virgin, 
methinks I see my lady stretched upon that pall, as when last I saw her. Emily, shocked by this exclamation, looked involuntarily again within the curtains, but the blackness of the pall only appeared, while Dorothy was compelled to support herself upon the side of the bed, and presently tears brought her some relief. Ah, said she, after she had wept a while, it was here I sat on that terrible night, and held my lady's hand, and heard her last words, and saw all her sufferings. Here, she died in my arms. Do not indulge these painful recollections, said Emily. Let us go. Show me the picture you mentioned, if it will not too much affect you. It hangs in the oriel, said Dorothy, rising, and going towards a small door near the bed's head, which she opened, and Emily followed with the light into the closet of the late Marchioness. Alas, there she is, Mamswell, said Dorothy, pointing to a portrait of a lady. There is her very self, just as she looked when she came first to the chateau. You see, madame, she was all blooming like you then, and so soon to be cut off. While Dorothy spoke, Emily was attentively examining the picture, which bore a strong resemblance to the miniature, though the expression of the countenance in each was somewhat different. But still she thought she perceived something of that pensive melancholy in the portrait, which so strongly characterized the miniature. Pray, Mamswell, stand beside the picture, that I may look at you together, said Dorothy, who, when the request was complied with, exclaimed again at the resemblance. Emily also, as she gazed upon it, thought she had somewhere seen a person very like it, though she could not now recollect who this was. In this closet were many memorials of the departed marchioness. A robe and several articles of her dress were scattered upon the chairs, as if they had just been thrown off. On the floor were a pair of black satin slippers, and on the dressing table a pair of gloves and a long black veil which, as Emily took it up to examine, she perceived was dropping to pieces with age. Ah, said Dorothy, observing the veil, my lady's hand laid it there. It has never been moved since. Emily, shuddering, immediately laid it down again. I will remember seeing her take it off, continued Dorothy. It was on the night before her death when she had returned from a little walk I had persuaded her to take in the gardens, and she seemed refreshed by it. I told her how much better she looked, and I remember what a languid smile she gave me. But alas, she little thought, or I either, that she was to die that night. Dorothy wept again, and then, taking up the veil, threw it suddenly over Emily, who shuddered to find it wrapped round her, descending even to her feet, and as she endeavoured to throw it off, Dorothy entreated that she would keep it on for one moment. I thought, added she, how like you would look to my dear mistress in that veil. May your life, Mimswell, be a happier one than hers. Emily, having disengaged herself from the veil, laid it again upon the dressing-table, and surveyed the closet where every object on which her eye fixed seemed to speak of the marchioness. In a large oriel window of painted glass stood a table with a silver crucifix and a prayer book open, and Emily remembered with emotion what Dorothy had mentioned concerning her custom 
of playing on her lute in this window, before she observed the lute itself, lying on a corner of the table, as if it had been casually placed there by the hand that had so often awakened it. This is a sad, forlorn place, said Dorothy, for when my dear lady died I had no heart to put it to rights, or the chamber either, and my lord never came into the rooms after, so they remained just as they did when my lady was removed for internment. While Dorothy spoke, Emily was still looking on the lute, which was a Spanish one, and remarkably large, and then with a hesitating hand she took it up and passed her fingers over the cords. They were out of tune, but uttered a deep and full sound. Dorothy started at their well-known tones, and seeing the lute in Emily's hand, said, This is the lute my lady Marchioness loved so. I remember when last she played upon it. It was on the night that she died. I came as usual to undress her, and as I entered the bedchamber, I heard the sound of music from the oriole, and perceiving it was my lady's, who was sitting there, I stepped softly to the door, which stood a little open, to listen, for the music, though it was mournful, was so sweet. There I saw her, with the lute in her hand, looking upwards, and the tears fell upon her cheeks while she sang a vesper hymn, so soft and so solemn, and her voice trembled, as it were, and then she would stop for a moment and wipe away her tears, and go on again lower than before. Oh, I had often listened to my lady, but never heard anything so sweet as this. It made me cry almost to hear it. She had been at prayers, I fancy. For there was the book open on the table beside her. Ay, and there it lies open still. Pray let us leave the Oriole, Mimswell, added Dorothy. This is a heart-breaking place. Having returned into the chamber, she desired to look once more upon the bed when as they came opposite to the open door leading into the saloon, Emily, in the partial gleam which the lamp threw into it, thought she saw something glide along into the obscure part of the room. Her spirits had been much affected by the surrounding scene, or it is probable this circumstance, whether real or imaginary, would not have affected her in the degree it did. But she endeavored to conceal her emotion from Dorothy, who, however, observing her countenance change, inquired if she was ill. "'Let us go,' said Emily faintly. "'The air of these rooms is unwholesome.' But when she attempted to do so, considering that she must pass through the apartment where the phantom of her terror had appeared, this terror increased, and too faint to support herself, she sat down on the side of the bed. Dorothy, Believing that she was only affected by a consideration of the melancholy catastrophe which had happened on this spot, endeavored to cheer her. And then, as they sat together on the bed, she began to relate other particulars concerning it, and this without reflecting that it might increase Emily's emotion, but because they were particularly interesting to herself. A little before my lady's death, said she, when the pains were gone off, she called me to her, and stretching out her hand to me, I sat down just there, where the curtain falls upon the bed. How well I remember her look at the time. Death was in it. I can almost fancy I see her now. There she lay, Mamswell, 
her face was upon the pillow there. This black counterpane was not upon the bed then. It was laid on after her death, and she was laid out upon it. Emily turned to look within the dusky curtains, as if she could have seen the countenance of which Dorothy spoke. The edge of the white pillow only appeared above the blackness of the pall, but as her eyes wandered over the pall itself, she fancied she saw it move. Without speaking, she caught Dorothy's arm, who, surprised by the action, and by the look of terror that accompanied it, turned her eyes from Emily to the bed, where in the next moment she too saw the pall slowly lifted and fall again. Emily attempted to go, but Dorothy stood fixed and gazing upon the bed, and at length said, "'It's only the wind that waves it, Mamswell. "'We have left all the doors open. "'See how the air waves the lamp, too? "'It is only the wind.' "'She had scarcely uttered these words "'when the pall was more violently agitated than before. "'But Emily, somewhat ashamed of her terrors, "'stepped back to the bed, "'willing to be convinced that the wind only had occasioned her alarm. "'When, as she gazed within the curtains, "'the pall moved again.' and in the next moment the apparition of a human countenance rose above it. Screaming with terror, they both fled, and got out of the chamber as fast as their trembling limbs would bear them, leaving open the doors of all the rooms through which they passed. When they reached the staircase, Dorothy threw open a chamber door where some of the female servants slept, and sunk breathlessly on the bed, while Emily, deprived of all presence of mind, made only a feeble attempt to conceal the occasion of her terror from the astonished servants. And though Dorothy, when she could speak, endeavored to laugh at her own fright, and was joined by Emily, no remonstrances could prevail with the servants, who had quickly taken the alarm to pass even the remainder of the night in a room so near to these terrific chambers. Dorothy, having accompanied Emily to her own apartment, they then began to talk over, with some degree of coolness, the strange circumstance that had just occurred, and Emily would almost have doubted her own perceptions had not those of Dorothy attested their truth. Having now mentioned what she had observed in the outer chamber, she asked the housekeeper whether she was certain no door had been left unfastened by which a person might secretly have entered the apartments. Dorothy replied that she had constantly kept the keys of the several doors in her own possession, that when she had gone her rounds through the castle, as she frequently did, to examine if all was safe, she had tried these doors among the rest, and had always found them fastened. It was therefore impossible, she added, that any person could have got admittance into the apartments, and if they could, it was very improbable they should have chose to sleep in a place so cold and forlorn. Emily observed that their visit to these chambers had perhaps been watched, and that some person, for a frolic, had followed them into the rooms, with the design to frighten them, and while they were in the oriel, had taken the opportunity of concealing himself in the bed. Dorothy allowed that this was possible, till she recollected that, on entering the apartments, she had turned the key of the outer door, and this which had been done to prevent their visit being noticed by any of the family, who might happen to be up, must effectively have excluded every person except themselves from the chambers, and she now persisted in affirming that the ghastly countenance she had seen was nothing human, but some dreadful aberration.
Emily was very solemnly affected. Of whatever nature might be the appearance she had witnessed, whether human or supernatural, the fate of the deceased Marchioness was a truth not to be doubted, and this unaccountable circumstance, occurring in the very scene of her sufferings, affected Emily's imagination with a superstitious awe, to which, after having detected the fallacies at Udolpho, she might not have yielded had she been ignorant of the unhappy story related by the housekeeper. Her she now solemnly conjured to conceal the occurrence of this night, and to make light of the terror she had already betrayed, that the Count might not be distressed by reports, which would certainly spread alarm and confusion among his family. Time, she added, may explain this mysterious affair. Meanwhile, let us watch the event in silence. Dorothy readily acquiesced, but she now recollected that she had left all the doors of the north suite of rooms open, and not having courage to return alone to lock even the outer one. Emily, after some effort, so far conquered her own fears that she offered to accompany her to the foot of the back staircase, and to wait there while Dorothy ascended, whose resolution being reassured by this circumstance, she consented to go, and they left Emily's apartment together. No sound disturbed the stillness as they passed along the halls and galleries, but on reaching the foot of the back staircase, Dorothy's resolution failed again. Having, however, paused a moment to listen, and no sound being heard above, she ascended, leaving Emily below, and scarcely suffering her eye to glance within the first chamber, she fastened the door, which shut up the whole suite of apartments, and returned to Emily. As they stepped along the passage leading into the great hall, a sound of lamentation was heard, which seemed to come from the hall itself, and they stopped, in new alarm, to listen. When Emily presently distinguished the voice of Annette, whom she found crossing the hall with another female servant, and so terrified by the report which the other maids had spread, that believing she could be safe only where her lady was, she was going for refuge to her apartment. Emily's endeavors to laugh or to argue her out of these terrors were equally vain, and in compassion to her distress, she consented that she should remain in her room during the night. End of Volume 4, Chapter 4